Hey, church family, so good to see you guys, and I'm stoked to be here because we get to talk about family this morning. We get to talk about what it means to be part of the family of God, what it means to be a part of the community of Christ. Because here's the thing, everybody wants to be a part of a community of some kind. Everybody does. Every human being feels the need to belong. Even the people who are deliberately trying not to conform to some group end up conforming to another group. I learned this really quickly when I started taking my boys down to the skate park when they were younger. You know, this group of kids who say, no, 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 we don't conform to anything else. We're not on the basketball team, the football team. We are our own people. Every single one of them, they're like, we're rebels. We don't conform, except that every single one of them has the same exact pair of Vans shoes that they're wearing, the same Dickies pants that they're wearing. They're all riding the same hockey deck, Spitfire wheels. They're all the same. There's a million different skate brands that they could choose from, but they're all wearing the same, riding the same thing. And why is that? They want to belong. We all want to belong. Every guy who buys a Harley goes down to the dealership thinking to himself, I'm a rebel. I'm independent, I'm mean, I'm tough. And the way that I'm gonna prove that is I'm gonna buy this Harley and then ride along with 100 other guys down the road with a matching leather vest. That's how I'm gonna prove that. We're gonna prove our independence by joining a parade. That's what we're gonna do. Why? Because they're just the same as all of us. We all wanna belong. We all feel the need to belong somewhere. And guess what? That points to a deeper need. It's kind of like drinking water. You don't drink water just because you feel thirsty. You drink water because you were designed to depend on it. You need water to keep your blood circulating. You need water to digest your food. You need water to regulate your body temperature. You need it to carry toxins out of your body. And so the thirst that you feel points to something a lot deeper. And it's the same with community. You feel the need to belong because you have a deeper need for community. Because that's the way God designed you to exist. And you know why God designed you that way? Because that's how God exists. As a community. When he created us, in Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image. Us, our, because we have one God who exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They've existed in fellowship together. Three persons with three distinct personalities in perfect community for all eternity. Just think about the names of the Trinity. Even what they identify themselves by points to the relationships. The Father is the Father because he has a Son. God defines himself by his relationships. And so that's why it says in 1 John 4, God is love. He defines himself by love. And guess what? He didn't start being love when he created us. He didn't have to wait until he had a bunch of humans running around to find something to love. God, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have been loving each other for all eternity. And so when it says that we are designed and created in God's image, that's the image that we're talking about. We're designed to be in community because we've been invited into the community of the Trinity. Something amazing. And so we're also designed to reflect that community in our relationship with each other. It says in Genesis 1, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the image of God is reflected in us as we have relationships with each other. Like the male and female relationship 
in marriage. Marriage is just one kind of community. It's the closest, most intimate kind of community, but it's still just one kind of community. So what God is saying is, if we are not in some kind of community, we're not reflecting the image of God. We're just not. God said it himself in Genesis 2, it's not good for man to be alone. In the way that he created man, it's not good. You remember what he said after he created everything else? Let there be light, and it was good. Let the earth sprout forth vegetation, and it was good. Let the earth bring forth living creatures, and it was good. But then God creates man by himself? Not good. Not good, because you were created for community. And it's not just to fill some needs that you have in your life, it's to fulfill the very purpose that you were created for in life. It's what makes you who you are. If I were to ask you what makes you who you are, what would you say? How would you respond? Maybe you'd talk about your job, your career. Maybe you'd talk about your family, where you grew up. Maybe it would be the things that you do. I surf, I play tennis, I play pickleball. Maybe it's where you went to school. Well, according to God, what makes you, you, is your community. He said, let us make man in our image. And so he created you to be in community. He invited you into the community of the Trinity. And then he created community between you and the people around you to reflect the community that you have with him. And then we went and ruined it all. Adam and Eve started doubting God, started feeling like maybe God wasn't giving them everything they needed in life, thought they needed to grasp it for themselves. They thought if we eat the fruit, maybe then we can become like God. And so what happens? They eat the fruit, and when God goes and confronts them on that, what do they do? They start blaming each other. They start blaming God. And right then, the community is destroyed. It's broken. Their community with God and with each other, it's gone. So here's the question I want to ask this morning. How are we going to rebuild that community? How are we going to rebuild the kind of community that we are designed to live in and to express and reflect? Well, that's the question Paul wants to ask us in his letter to the Corinthians. So if you got your Bible, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Chapter 16, the last chapter of the book. We've made it through, family. Good job. Paul is closing out his letter to this church that is not a healthy community. Not at all. These guys were divided over the exact same things that are dividing churches today. Gender roles and gender confusion and identity, mysticism versus intellectualism, charismatics versus conservatives, libertarians versus legalists. They're fighting, scrapping all the time. They're not a real community. And so Paul's gonna give it one last shot in this last chapter. He's gonna try and rebuild the kind of community that God designed us all to be. So let's pray, then we'll dive in. Father, thank you so much for the community of the Trinity that we have been invited into. That's mind-blowing. The most exclusive club in the universe, better than any club that any of us have ever invented, better than any first-class cabin in any airplane, and we've been invited into this incredible club of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amazing. Now, Lord, help us 
to appreciate that and be in awe in that so that we can reflect that in our relationship with you and especially in our relationship with the people around us. Help us to be a community like you, our community. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So we're looking at 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to start right at the beginning. Verse 1, what Paul says. Now, about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering, so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I'll send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they will travel with me. So Paul's talking about the saints in Jerusalem, these Christians who are being persecuted, they're being kicked out of their jobs, being kicked out of their families, out on the street with no money, and it's all because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They've got no money, and Paul knows there's a lot of folks in Corinth who've got plenty of money. And maybe these folks in Corinth will stop bickering with their family inside the church if they can start working together to bless the people outside of their church. That's Paul's thinking here. And that's how Paul wants to start building community. And this is how we can build community. Number one, with our generosity. Be generous. Being generous together is a great way to build community. Now, here's the thing. Generosity is kind of baked into the culture here in Hawaii, right? You don't show up to somebody's house empty-handed. You don't let somebody leave your house empty-handed. If somebody you know is in need, everybody rallies around and supports that person. But Paul's talking about something a little different here. He's talking about going outside of our normal circles, going out of our way to build relationships with people in need outside of our normal circles, giving ongoing support to people in need outside of our circles. I mean, it's easy to be generous towards people who are just like us, right? It's a lot harder to be generous towards people who are radically different than us. But that's part of building community, our generosity. And what we're seeing here is that we're talking about systematic generosity. Paul says, set something aside on the first day of the week, every single week. So don't just give when you feel like it. Don't wait to give until you feel something stir inside of you. God wants us to be systematic and regular in our giving. We're also talking about sacrificial generosity. Paul says to give according to how you are prospering. Some of us are prospering a little bit, so maybe we give 10% of our salary. Some of us are prospering a lot, so maybe we give 50% of our salary. Whatever it is, God wants us to be sacrificial, proportional in our giving. And then we're also talking about strategic generosity, communal generosity. Paul says we should gather our gifts together in the church. So we can't just give $10 here and $20 over there and $40 over there we got to bring it together with our brothers and sisters in the church so we can be generous together. That's part of building community. Be generous. And then number two, be present. That's what Paul wants to model to the Corinthians. Look at what he says in verse five. I'll come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be traveling through Macedonia, and perhaps I'll remain with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you. Now, just in passing, 
I don't want to see you just for a little while, since I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows. But I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide door for effective ministry is open for me, yet many oppose me. Yeah, I'll stay here as long as God allows me to minister here, but I really want to be with you guys. Because Paul knows it's not enough just to write letters. He wants to see them face to face. And he wants to see them for an extended season. He wants to spend the whole winter with them. He knows you can't build community through letters. You can't build community through emails, through blog posts, through live streams and podcasts. You can't even build community through our Sunday gatherings, not by themselves. You can think of our church like a bridge. Got a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge there. So if you think about a bridge, what do bridges do? What are they designed to do? To get people from one place to another, right? We're here to help each other get to a place where we are loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And our Sunday gatherings, they're a really important part of that. They're like the towers on the bridge where everything comes together. But what if the bridge was only towers? What what would the use be of that kind of bridge? It would be useless. The towers are there to support the roadway that goes between them. And in our church, the roadway is our community groups, meeting almost every day of the week all over the place. The roadway is our Bible studies. The roadway is our ministry teams where you can serve together and build community together. You can find out more about our ministries and small groups and community groups at the table in the lobby. We've got all kinds of information about them. Because back in chapter 12 of this book, Paul told us what his goal for our church is. Look at what he said he wants for us. That the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Such a great ideal, but if you look around the church, ask yourself, do I know who's suffering right now? Do I know who's being honored right now? Do I know what these people love and what they hate? Do I know what makes them anxious and worried? Do I know what their interests are, what their hobbies are, activities, their jobs? Do I even know their names? Maybe you're saying no to all those questions, but then you're saying, well, the problem is that nobody knows any of those things about me. Nobody knows my name. Well, Part of the issue there is that we've got a ton of new people here at Harbor right now, and so nobody knows anybody's name right now. That's the, that's the truth. You, you might have sat down today and wondered why the person next to you didn't say hi to you when you sat down. It might be because they're new too, and they were wondering why you didn't say hi to them when they sat down. We've got a ton of new people, and so we want to get to the place where if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And the only way that's going to happen is if we all take the initiative to be present together in smaller groups, smaller settings than this, like community groups. Maybe we're like, okay, community groups. I don't know. Now, what, what if I get tired of those people? Now, meeting with them every single week, aren't, aren't I going to get tired of those people? The answer is, yes, you will. The people in my community group bug me sometimes. I bug them all the time. I'm annoying in our community group. Maybe you're like, man, being with those people, what if there's people in that group that I wouldn't normally hang out with? Perfect is what I say to that. I've got a, 
a pastor friend who's got a saying. He says, it's not true community unless there's somebody there who you wish wasn't. It's not true community unless there's somebody there who you wish wasn't. If you like everybody in your community group, it's not a true community, not a spirit-driven community. It's a social club with certain qualifications for membership. That's what the Corinthians were trying to build. They were trying to build a social club based on social status and income, based on cultural preferences, based on personality styles, based on secondary theological issues. And they were trying to kick out the people or exclude the people who didn't fit their qualifications for membership. So Paul's calling them out on that. Look at what he says in verse 10. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while with you because he's doing the Lord's work just as I am. So let no one look down on him. Send him on his way in peace so that he can come to me because I'm expecting him with the brothers. I love it. See that Timothy has nothing to be scared of. Paul has to say that because right now there's a lot for Timothy to be scared of. The Corinthians are scary people really scary people. So Paul says, would you just receive him, please? Just let him do the work that I've commissioned him to do. Just listen to him. Listen to what I've sent him to say. Because here's another thing you need if you want to build community. Number three, got to be teachable. Got to be teachable. Timothy, he's carrying this letter that we're reading to the Corinthians. He's carrying this letter And when he arrives in Corinth, his job is to read that letter out loud in a church service. This letter that's calling them out on their shameful sin, even by name sometimes. Man, there is a better than even chance that while Timothy is reading this letter, somebody in that church charges the stage and gives him a Will Smith slap, okay? That's better than even odds that that happens here. And and that's why Apollos doesn't even want to go with him. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. You know why? He doesn't like the Corinthians any more than Timothy does. He's more scared of the Corinthians than Timothy is. However, he will come when he has an opportunity. This is terrible, this situation. How are we going to build community if we're scared of each other, man? We've got to walk on eggshells around each other if we can't speak the truth in love with each other. We've got to have thick skin and soft hearts. We've got to be teachable. We've got to be teachable. And then, closely related to that, number four, we've got to be alert. We've got to be aware of the schemes of the enemy in our lives and in our families, and in our community. Here's what Paul says, verse 13. Be alert. Yeah, can't get much simpler than that. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Be alert to the sin that you might be falling into because it is so easy for us to start slowly conforming to the world around us. It's easy for us to start imitating celebrities and politicians who say they follow Jesus, 
but really don't live like Jesus. We got to be alert to sin in ourselves. We also got to be alert to sin that our brothers and sisters might be falling into. We can't just hope for the best. We, we have to be willing to lovingly help them overcome their sin. Now, I know that we're scared to do that, and so that's why Paul says, you got to be courageous. Be courageous. Literally in the Greek, be a man. That's literally what it says in the Greek. You got to be a man. And he's not saying be a man as opposed to a woman. He's saying be a man as opposed to a boy. As opposed to a little boy who's scared of everything. Be a man. Be bold. Be strong. Take risks. Do things that you know some people aren't going to like. Just don't be a jerk about it. Because Paul says, do everything in love. Do everything in love. Don't stand for the faith without love in your heart. Okay, family, don't post things online just to win an argument, just to own somebody, demolish someone, expose someone. That's what the Corinthians did. And so Paul's going, hey, you gotta stand firm, be alert, be strong, be a man. And the Corinthians are all like, yeah! And then Paul's like, and do everything in love. And the Corinthians are like, oh, Really? We got to do that, Paul? Yeah. And here's what that kind of love looks like. Look at verse 15. Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They're the first, free, first fruits of Achaia, and they've devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I'm delighted to have Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus present because these men have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such people. Recognize people like that. Here's another great way to build community. Number five, be honoring. Honoring. Recognizing. Recognize and affirm the good work that you see in other people. Now, I know that we don't like to inflate other people's egos. We, ju we just kind of recoil from that. But there's Christ-honoring ways to honor people who are being used by God, especially the kind of people who aren't up here on this stage. People like Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus. These are just regular guys. These guys didn't write any books in the Bible. They didn't do any miracles that we know about. They just made themselves available. Just allowed God to use them to encourage other people. And so Paul wants the Corinthians to recognize them, honor them, affirm them for that. Some of us struggle in figuring out ways to, to affirm, to recognize, to honor other people. Well, there's a great book that came out a couple years ago called Practicing Affirmation by Sam Crabtree. He's got a hundred different ideas of how you can affirm people, and I plucked out just a few. Like, here's an idea for your family. He says, don't just put your kid's work up on the refrigerator door. Don't just stick it up there. Comment on some aspect of character that was demonstrated in the work. Attention to detail, creative use of materials, generosity in sharing the work etc. Here's a few ideas for your work. He says, if you're leading a meeting, before moving on to the next agenda item, stop to commend those who worked on the previous item. 
hey, we really appreciate your work on this thing. Or this, quote someone positively in their presence. Yeah, I like what Jake said about this yesterday. Say that with Jake in the room. Great way to honor. Here's an idea for when you're at church. He says, write a Bible verse on a note card to someone and say, I think you do this better than me. What a great way to honor people and affirm people in a Christ-centered fashion. And that leads to number six, be affectionate. Be affectionate because a real community isn't an organization. It's not an institution. It's a family. And families are affectionate. Look what Paul says in verse 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord. Warmly. Along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. And so greet one another with a holy kiss. Love that, with a holy kiss. Now, I gotta get a little awkward here, forgive me, but I gotta speak directly to my Howley brothers and sisters here. Can I do that for a second? I can speak to you because I'm one of you, okay? All of us who were flown here, not grown here, I need to speak to you because Paul, I think, is speaking straight to us. You know what he's saying? No more stiff Howley handshakes is what he's saying. That's what he's saying to us, family. You know how we got the name Howley? I heard this from a, a native Hawaiian practitioner. I believe it, okay? The, the way we got the name Howley is that when Captain Cook jumped off the ship near Kona back in the, I think, 1700s, um, he jumped off and, and the local chief came out to greet him. And, uh, you know, the chief came in for the traditional Hawaiian greeting, pull the other person in, go nose to nose, breathe in each other's ha, their breath, their essence, their soul. And so the chief starts going in and Captain Cook goes, oh, I don't think so. How about a nice firm handshake? And the chief goes, what? This guy doesn't want to share his ha with me. He must not have any ha. He is ha ole, without breath, without soul. And that's what they've been saying about Hollies ever since, all right? That, that explains who we are. And so for all of my pasty white brothers and sisters just like me, no more stiff Holly handshakes. None of that. Handshake hugs for the kane, kiss on the cheek for the vahine. We need to be affectionate because that's what a family is like. We are a family, so let's act like it. Be affectionate. And then number seven, be expectant. I love how Paul ends this letter. Expect God to do great things even through imperfect people. Even through an imperfect family like the Corinthians and like us. Look at how Paul ends the letter in verse 21. He says, this greeting is in my own hand, Paul. Because remember, Paul was half blind. He had to use a scribe to write most of his letters, the best he could do was write big P-A-U-L at the end of the letter. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Our Lord, come. Come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Our Lord, 
come because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back in victory one day. And until that happens, what does Paul say? The grace of our Lord Jesus is with us. With fallen and foolish, sinful and stupid people like us. And if the grace of Jesus is with us, then the grace of Jesus is going to flow through us to the people around us. Like it says in Titus 2, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. All people. We've seen that happen before in these islands, family. 150 years ago, more than 90% of the population of Hawaii attended church every week. That's pretty close to all. Biggest church in the world was in Hilo. We've seen God do amazing things in these islands before. And it all started with a little community of folks who loved Jesus and loved each other. Family, what could God do through our community? What will God do through our community? Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, your grace is amazing. Your grace that has transformed fallen and foolish, sinful and stupid people like us and now uses fallen and foolish, sinful and stupid people like us to be an extension of your family, your community here on earth. Thank you for the incredible privilege that we have to be part of the community of the Trinity. Now, Lord, help us to reflect that community here within these walls, in our community groups and Bible studies and ministry teams, and then, Lord, radiating out into Kaka'ako, Oahu, across these islands and around the world. Thank you for inviting us into your community. Now, Lord, we want to see more and more people welcomed just as we were. Help us to love each other so that we can love this world just as you do. Thank you for the love of Jesus that's made all of this possible. It's in his name we pray. Amen.